Glad you're here on a Saturday morning. Good morning, a little bit after 6 a.m. We got a full show today, and I know you want to learn. You want to ask questions. We want to learn together. So we're going to get right to calls this morning, 404-872-0750. Folks checking in with Green and Growing. Todd in Cherokee County. Hey, good morning, Todd. Um, The question I wanted to ask was, um, at my house, we've got several small flower beds, and the last two seasons when we've tried to plant things like um, petunias, we can't never get those those little flowers to bloom really good, and they end up drying up and getting holes in the leaves, and we just can't never get that big spread blooming in those kind of little flowers, the ones that don't come back when we put some um, seven dust on them. I'm just trying to figure out why we can't get those. Yeah, so it is petunias, like with that trumpet-shaped flower, and they're all different colors, right? Yeah, but ours just decline. They just, they never, like they hate it where we're at. And we're just, you know, we live right here in Canton. And then you can go up the road up here at the shopping center and they'll put them out right in front of the shopping centers and they just flourish. What I have found for myself is they do better for me in containers because I'm able to control the environment a little bit more. And I'm wondering, and when I see them in shopping centers too, you're absolutely right. Petunias seem to be a little more mounded, like, you know, when they're in a an island in a parking lot or something like that or outside of an apartment complex or something they're a little more mounded so that could be you know the key there providing that they're getting good drainage i guess drainage could possibly be a problem what about the holes in the leaves if a bug is eating the leaves i almost wonder if you're not seeing enough blooms if it is setting buds and they're just not opening because whatever bugs are eating the leaves may be chomping off the little bud too before they're even able to open and also petunias really benefit from deadheading you know where you just go to the the base of the flower the base of where the purple is or the pink is or whatever and just pull that whole thing off not the stem or any green just deadheading those and that makes it flourish a little bit more so Todd I would keep okay. using the seven the seven dust will that take care of the whatever kind of bugs yeah absolutely and apply it in the evening and when it's dry you know that way it's not getting all sticky on wet leaves or humid leaves or anything like that go ahead and keep applying that but just make sure maybe if you're going to insist on putting them in the ground or putting them in a bed mounding them and raising them up to make sure they do need really good drainage and just deadheading the expired blooms too and that may help give energy back to the plant to put on more blooms i hope that's going to help you todd and if all else fails I would do containers. I mean, they look really nice in containers along the deck, or I've got mine, you know, flanking the front door. So give that a shot. And there's also now impatience are getting back in the market and sun patience, and those give you a lot of color too. So that may be another option, and the stems and everything are a little bit hardier than petunias. So that could be a really good color option if you're just tired of wasting money on petunias. Todd, thank you so much for the call. And now look who we have in the studio. Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brian Monahan. Hey, it is nice to come down to the radio world, see your smiling face, because usually people don't know this. We're two floors above you in the studio, and we hear you and Mark, and smiling's always out in the helicopter, of course. Mark and I are kept in the basement. <laughs> Everybody else in the studio is upstairs. So thanks for making time on a Saturday morning. To uh, come it, it is great to be here. There's nobody I would rather be with on a Saturday morning than Ashley Frasca, of course. Thank you. And what else are we going to talk about on a Saturday morning but garden? Just easing Mm -hmm. into your Saturday, having coffee, listening to the radio, of course, watching Channel 2 Action News Saturday AM as well. Your travels with Cox Media Group Mm -hmm. took you around the country. So Seattle, I'm curious about the landscape in Seattle. It's part of the country I've never seen. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about some of the most striking things that you saw out in Washington. Every part of the country I've lived in. I've lived in the Northeast. I've lived in Florida. I've lived in Georgia. All has its great 
things. I've lived in some great places. And then you go up to the Northwest. And I think the Pacific Northwest is one of the, in terms of natural beauty, one of the best kept secrets because it's so far away. It feels like you're flying to another country when Literally, you fly up there. almost a straight diagonal in the opposite corner of the country from believe where we me, are. Believe mm-hmm. me, I found that when I lived there for two years, I found out that people aren't so interested no matter how much they like you in getting on a plane for six hours. Uh, So I found myself flying back more than than folks flying there. But they call it the Emerald City. So Seattle has this reputation of so much rain, and and it does rain there a lot. The amount of rain actually in Atlanta is a little bit more, or quite a bit more than they get in Seattle. But Wow. Yeah, nobody believes that. No. When it rains heavy here, one of the funny things to me people say is, oh, it's like Seattle today. I'm like, "Mm, you haven't been to Seattle before. Oh my gosh. a lot of drizzle, a lot of light rain, but it makes everything so green. So even in the dead of winter, everything is green. Now, the leaves are off the trees. You get fall, but you have the evergreen trees that are so green. You have the grass stays so green. Um, you have the mountains. You have waterfalls. You wow. have uh, the Pacific Ocean and, and Puget Sound. and all this. Seattle is naturally a beautiful spot, and there's nothing there like the cherry blossoms when they come out in the spring, and you get the bright flowers, even though it's still kind of gloomy out. So it's a really, yes, the sky is gloomy, mm-hmm. but the plants and the grass and the landscape is so bright there in the spring wow. especially. Okay, I want to go. I definitely want to go. You got to check it out. All right, one last thing. Yeah. Favorite plant or flower without even thinking? Palm tree. Oh, okay. Palm tree. Uh, something about a palm tree just puts me in my happy place. Tropical. Tropical. I think warm right away. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, it's too early on a Saturday to think of anything but coffee. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, Brian, thank you so much for stopping by. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure we'll be hearing more from you. Let's do this again. And wow, now look at who we have on the line. Following that up, Channel 2 Action News meteorologist. She's retired, but you still know her. You love her. Karen Mitten. Hey, Ashley. It's so wonderful to hear your voice. And I bet a lot of people are thrilled to hear yours. How's retirement? <laughs> I can't believe the year has flown by. Um, I didn't know what to expect, but it's even better than I thought. And um, I'm so glad I did it. You know, 38 years in the business, 33 years at WSB. And other than missing my colleagues and friends at work, I don't miss the work. I want to go back to where you grew up on the West Coast. And yeah. you had a love for gardening and a curiosity about plants even back then. I did. Uh, when I was seven years old, my mom and dad moved us from L.A., Los Angeles County, uh, to Lodi, California. And we lived on 20 acres. We had almonds and we had grapes. So I was on an almond orchard, grape vineyard, drove tractor for my dad. Wow. When I was 10, he let me drive the Ford, um, helping him put out the smudge pots, which are, you can't use those anymore, but we used to put those out in the spring to protect the buds of the almond trees when the freeze would happen. And so I got to do that. And then in the middle of the great vineyard almond orchard, there was our house. It was a teeny tiny little house and it had a huge garden. Every vegetable you could imagine we planted. And my mom would can and freeze a lot of the stuff so that we would have it over the winter. So we ate organically before organic eating was cool. Um, So we did all of that. And we had all kinds of fruit trees, plums and apricots and peaches all surrounding the house. Even, get this, who knew when I was eight, seven, eight years old, that peeling a pomegranate was a healthy thing to do. (laughs) So I ate pomegranate seeds when I was just a little kid. The grape vineyard, there were different places that you sold to, and there were wineries. 
we had Woodbridge and Gallo and all of those places. And depending upon the type of grape that you grew, you would sell it to different places. And for the almonds, of course, Blue Diamond was out there and they would come in and knock the almonds and get them all loaded up and off they'd go in a big truck to the Blue Diamond plant. So, yes, we made some income from those things. And the garden that we ate and used, we shared with neighbors. All the neighbors did that. Um, the neighbor next to us had a small dairy, which I used to milk their cows when they would go on vacation in the summer for six weeks. I would go down in the morning before the sun came up and in the afternoon before the sun came down, went down to milk their cows and drag all the things. It was fabulous. And then they butchered a steer, which after Duke was butchered, who was my friend, I didn't eat meat or beef for <laughs> many, many, many years. Traumatic. <laughs> I, I don't blame it you. Was tra- it was traumatic. But the farmers we all shared with one another had fresh milk. We had whatever you can imagine we had. We didn't really have to go to the grocery store because... We grew it. That's one of the things I always enjoyed seeing you in the makeup room, you know, whenever I'd fill in on TV. And we talked about gardening, and I know you were a fan of Walter's show. So tell us what you love most about gardening. It's just really beautiful to watch the plants start coming up. Sitting out there on the deck in peace, watching the plants. I've taken pictures of big bees going, sticking their heads and their little butts are sticking out at the other end of the flower, you know, and it's yes. just so funny to watch them. So those are, those are peaceful moments. Do It'll you, take the stress away. Do you do coffee or wine? Do you, you know, have a drink outside every now and then? That's my happy uh, place. Yeah, I do. I have, since I've not been working, I don't drink coffee anymore. It's pretty oh, surprisingly. Wow. I'll have some tea. I like different kinds of teas, but the dogs and I'll go sit out there and have a glass of wine and just look. And my tree gets leafed out so people can't see me sitting on the deck. It's great. And so I, I, I just like being out there. It's peaceful and the dogs like it. We miss you, but everyone loves hearing your voice this morning. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, darling. I miss you too. Bye-bye. Time to take a break on Green and Growing, 95.5 WSB. The weather update there, sponsored by Finley Roofing. You know, tomatoes, that is one of the favorites of summertime. We all know that. So coming up at the bottom of the hour, Walter Reeves and I in the Walter Wonders segment, we're going to be tackling everything tomatoes, a very in-depth discussion from 6.30 to 7. So you don't want to miss that. I think we'll cover, we're going to try to cover just about anything. You may have questions about growing them, keeping pests away from them, what to do if you're having issues with the leaves or if they just don't look right. So with that being said, one of the three things that I'm going to let you know to do this weekend involves tomatoes. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. Yeah, so one of those things right now that you're going to want to do, keep an eye out for tomato hornworm. Oh my gosh, this big green caterpillar looks like something out of Alice in Wonderland. It's kind of creepy. They do enormous damage overnight. The larger they get, the more they eat. They eat the leaves on your tomato plants. They're also known to affect a few other vegetable plants. But when you see the damage, check under the leaves and the stems to find them. It's tricky to see them because they're green. They often camouflage. Hand pick them to dispose of them. You can drop them in soapy water to kill them. If you let them go too long, they're going to become a hornworm moth. And those things, I mean, moths aren't really pretty, but they're kind of a mottled gray-brown with yellow spots on the sides of the abdomen. But the tomato hornworm going to cause a lot of damage. All right, number two, now's a good time. Fertilize crepe myrtles, butterfly bushes, and hydrangeas with about a tablespoon of 10-10-10 per foot 
uh, height of the plant. So that's pretty easy to remember. And number three, although tomatoes are self-pollinating, they do need movement to transfer pollen. If it's been hot and calm for several days, all you want to do is gently shake the plants to assure pollen transfer, and the fruit is set. A lot of you, though, are seeing fruit now, so that's a good thing. Hot temperatures often do interfere with bloom set, though, and blossom set, so just make sure you're doing what you can to kind of help the tomato plants along. All right, so without further ado, at the bottom of the hour, you will enjoy Walter Wonders talking about tomato plants. And then coming up at 7 o'clock, Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission was on the show over a month ago, and we got some great calls about trees and just what to plant, recommendations for what goes where, and screening ideas and things like that. So bringing Seth back for the 7 o'clock hour to take calls about trees and just what's going on with the Georgia Forestry Commission, something you definitely don't want to miss. Stay tuned to Green and Growing. Thanks for joining me on a Saturday morning. I'm your host, Ashley Frasca, and you can find more and keep up with the show on the Facebook page. Just search Green and Growing WSB, and there we are. We'll be right back after we check news, weather, and traffic here on 95.5 WSB. So glad you're with us. Hopefully through the weekend, take us wherever you go. You've got the WSB radio app. You can stream us on all your different devices. And if you're at home on the laptop, wsbradio.com. Very simple, very easy to keep us with you. And I hope you're enjoying some cookouts, grilling out with family and friends. And boy, do we have a topic here for you. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG garden guru, Walter Reeves. There he is, the Georgia gardener on the line right now. Good morning, Walter. You know, I know you're kind of adventurous and, dare I say, a little bit of a daredevil, too. You are not planning Mm -hmm. on doing anything with fireworks today, are you? That worries me. Now, Ashley, you wouldn't expect (laughs) me to incriminate myself, would you? They're legal. They're legal. It's okay. I know, and uh, but my neighbors don't like them at all. I have to know that too because they have babies. Um, Let's just say, if someone did have fireworks, it wouldn't be me, but it might be a. I might be around. How about that? (laughs) Okay, that's good. That's good. So something else that I think of for today is cookouts, barbecuing, doing small gatherings with the family, and all of that. And you've got to have a nice, fresh, big red tomato on that burger or in that pasta salad you've made. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Yeah, sounds great. Sure. Tomatoes. It's great. Tomato season this year, too. A lot of folks are starting to see maybe some small little green tomatoes. Maybe some are starting to turn red, depending on how early you got them in the ground. Mine are just so far behind, so I don't really have an accurate measuring stick because I started everything from seed, you know, back in February. Mm-hmm. And it has yeah. taken so long because I didn't have a strong enough grow light to really get the plants sturdy and strong enough to put in the ground, which was done maybe, gosh, four or five weeks ago now. But like you said, be patient. I'm religious about watering them, fertilizing them yeah, every so often. Good. And they are getting sturdy. They're getting happy. And we've got some of those yellow flowers. But here we are with tomatoes. And, you know, we talk about Georgia being the peach state, too, <laughs> and how difficult peach trees can be to, to grow and maintain and really get a yeah. fruitful crop. Tomatoes, man can be easy for some, but for most of us, there's so much to look out for. Let me just throw this knowledge down on you, Walter, okay? Right. go ahead. Blossom end rot, blossom drop, cracks, <laughs> sun scald, leaf roll, leaf spot, wilt, blight, mildew, canker, cat facing. Need I go on? I'm intimidated already. I always <laughs> want to go to somebody that had that kind of problem. I mean, that's a lot to deal with. So let's make it a little more manageable. One of the things you often write about Probably most commonly, I think, blossom and rot. What are we looking at? Yeah. 
And what a great description of the problem. The bottom end, the blossom end of the tomato fruit turns black. You pick up a nice tomato and it looks like it's red, almost ripe. Turn it over and that black, rotten, oozy part is shown. And you think, oh, man, what happened to this? I got blossom end rot. And there have been so many cures for that put out over the airwaves and in print over the years. And I am so guilty of passing along the wrong information no about way. how to prevent blossom. I promise. I have said it so many times of the wrong thing to do on radio, and I'm here to absolve myself and say <laughs> I was wrong, and this is the right new information I'm passing on this morning. All right. This is your uh, your platform for the mea culpa. So what, you, what yeah, are you saying? The mea culpa. Great. <laughs> so I used to say, well, let's start at the beginning. What causes blossom end rot? Blossom end rot is caused by not having enough calcium on the little bitty fruit when it's forming. It's about the size of a marble. If it doesn't have any calcium toward the blossom end, it's sort of leathery, blackish-looking thing, which will spread as the tomato gets bigger. So I said, and many other gardeners said, oh, that's easy. Put calcium in the soil, lime or eggshells or uh, something else, that has, uh, sheet rock dust from mm-hmm. you know, wallboard in a house. I said all those things would help to cure blossom and rot and get calcium out to the fruit. I was completely wrong. Research has shown over and over that that is not what's going to help. Even spraying calcium on the fruit, I used to say, doesn't help either. Wow. So how did, how did real, you turn the corner? Where did you get back on the right oh, track with this? you know me. I'm reading. I'm reading, doing, reading research by other vegetable scientists who do the research. And when they do it, that's my job, your job too, to bring newest the newest research to the people of Georgia and Atlanta and tell them what really does work. And blossom end rot is not caused by a lack of calcium per se in the soil. It's caused by a lack of water to take it out to the fruit. So the real thing that causes blossom and rot is inconsistent watering, letting tomato dry out and get wet again, dry out, get wet again. And that many times happens when they're growing them in a container, mm-hmm. in a you know, five-gallon bucket or something, because you know, it's inevitable you forget to water. It's hot during the day, so it wilts before you come home from work. And so that wilt and dry, wilt and wet, wilt and wet cycle exacerbates the transfer of calcium out to the out to the fruit. It inhibits it, actually, from getting out there. And the other thing is too much fertilizer. And that's easy to do because I, I got some miracle grow. I will put some miracle grow on my tomatoes and make it grow. But the further you make the leaves and stems grow on a tomato plant, the more they are robbing calcium away from the fruit. Number one, be good about watering. Be very consistent about water. Use big containers for your tomato plants to grow in. A lot of soil for the roots to spread out in. Yeah, and generally and the same time every day is easy to remember. Maybe yeah, morning yeah, or evening. Yeah. That way it's not evaporating. And also on a day it rains, maybe that's your off day. You know, But I, I am doing day. mine right. daily. I don't think that's too much. But lay off on the fertilizer. Yeah. If it's growing nicely, if it's not turned yellow, the leaves have it turned yellow, and it seems to be growing surely but slowly, no more miracle Grow or other fertilizer until you see a need for more fertilizer. That is the other thing you can lay off on doing and help to prevent awesome end rot. And as the, as the plant gets bigger and bigger, it usually seems to sort of fade and go away. You don't have as much blossom end rot on the older tomato fruit as you do on the young ones. Now let's talk about blossom drop. Maybe not as common, but you're so anxious mm-hmm. to see those little yellow flowers. And then what would cause them to just drop off? Usually heat, heat and humidity. 
the, the flowers themselves are perfect, meaning they have the male and the female parts inside the same flower. And so they can actually be pollinated by the wind. You don't have to have a bee or a butterfly to go in there. But sometimes if it's really hot and hu- humid, the male and female parts inside the flower will stick together and not pollinate correctly, and the flower will just drop off. Again, something that just happens because of the environment. Blame it on Kurt Mellish, but that's what happens. <laughs> blossom in, drop, in, blossom drop because of humidity and heat. Okay. So, yeah, that we can't really control. You know, overnight temperatures yeah. need to be no more than like mid-70s maybe. Yeah, so. yeah. when it gets up uh, mid to late high 70s, woo, the tomatoes are not happy, particularly the big whopper kind of tomatoes that mm-hmm. everybody wants to grow. They're the ones that are mostly affected by flower drop because they just have that characteristic. All right. Now something else. Let's go out and look at our tomatoes and see if we notice any leaf roll or leaf spot. What do you think about those? Leaf roll, completely innocuous, no problem. They do it just to protect themselves from the sunshine, basically. Same as you would do on the sun on a real sunny beach. You'd put the towel on top of yourself so you don't get sunburned. And tomatoes, leaves do the same thing, no big deal there. And what was the other one? Leaf spot. Uh, two or three things that are called leaf spot. Uh, early blight's the main one where you have a, a black spot in the middle of a big yellow splotch oh. on the lower leaf. And that's one where you can pick the leaves off. And if you do it pretty quickly, you can control uh, early blight pretty well. You can mulch when you plant the plant so no soil jumps up onto the leaves. And if you just have to, you can spray with a fungicide. Not necessary. Like you said, just removing those affected leaves and keeping yeah. up with that should be enough. And keeping the mulch on the ground so you don't get dirty soil. Soil always has the early blight fungus in it. You can't eliminate it, you can't kill it. And keep, <clears throat> keeping the soil off the leaves helps a lot. And I'm so glad you said something, you've said something twice now about watering too. Everyone that I've given tomato plants to, and the bell pepper plants for that matter, that I sowed from seed, I have told them, like people that have never grown tomatoes before, so I told them it's very important, A, to water daily. And, I mean, if it's just you got one little tomato plant in a pot, yeah, 12 ounces of water, that's fine. Just go fill up a cup in your kitchen, throw it out on the deck on the tomato, it's fine every day. But watering from the bottom. Talk about how important that is and not keeping the leaves wet. Because a wet leaf is a... A fungus-infected leaf. <laughs> Fungi love mm-hmm. love wet surfaces, and so the drier you can keep the tomato leaf, the better off you'll be for controlling leaf diseases. So put the hose or your watering can or your cup or whatever at the base of the tree, base of the tomato. I mean, and let the water go in on the soil down there, not on the not spraying over the top. So wilt. I know there was a common one that you would talk about, ver- verticillium. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah the one that really. I think it's more common than verticillium with this fusarium wilt, but it's easy to diagnose. I can tell you how to diagnose it if you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, here it is. Your tomato plant looks happy, healthy, wonderful, lovely. It's out there, except the next day you go out and look at it, and it's wilted and turned brown sort of on the edges of the leaves. And then the next day you go out there, and it's further brown. And the next day you go out, it's all the way brown. The next day you go out, it's flat to the ground brown. And that progressive wilting is a sign of fusarium wilt. I'll give you another wilt in a minute, but the fusarium is usually a progressive start small, continues day after day after day, finally brown all the way. And the way to diagnose it very definitively is to take a stem, a leaf stem or a main stem, either one, and cut into it with a sharp knife, and you'll see these brown streaks up and down the stem. That's where the fungi was growing in there. 
and the fusarium fungi makes a brown streak. So you say, oh, man, look, fusarium in my, in my tomato. How do you prevent it? You get, you buy tomatoes that say VFN mm-hmm. on, the, uh, on the label. And VFN means they are resistant to verticillium wilt, to fusarium wilt, and to nematodes. So you just buy a resistant tomato, and you usually don't have a problem with fusarium wilt. And what about rotating crops as well? Yeah, rotating around. That's another good idea if you can. Uh, don't use the same family of vegetables in the same spot in your garden. Tomatoes and peppers are very kin to each other, so try to rotate tomato to corn to beans, back to tomatoes to, to uh, beans to peppers, and just don't put peppers and tomatoes in the same spot every year, day after year after year after year, because you build up diseases in the soil. All right, two more common diseases or problems with tomato plants, plus Walter's thoughts on just a few of the common pests and bugs you may see on your tomatoes. All that coming up. Stay tuned to 95.5 WSB. The update on your weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. So, Walter Reeves, you stayed over with me. I appreciate that. Walter Wonders, we're just uh, tomatoes. We're really having a good time talking about tomatoes. So, you mentioned two wilts, and we talked about fusarium being one. What's the other? Um, Bacterial wilt is the other one, and it has a different um, characteristic behavior in the plant, I guess. Bacterial wilt is when you go out and look at your tomato plant and it's wilted a little bit. You think, oh, I'll put a little water on that thing. It perks up. The next day you go out and look at it, it's a little more wilted, but it's still green. Let's put some water on it. Okay, you go to the third day, it's even more wilted, still green, but more water on it. But the bacterial wilt will always be green wilt, more wilt, finally green wilted to the ground. Oh, no. Fusarium was brown. Bacterial is green. What to do about it? You know, the best thing to do is not plant any tomatoes or peppers in the same spot if you've had bacterial wilt before. It's soil-borne, and it's really hard to eliminate it out of the ground. One way, though, that I've recommended to do is simply to dig out the ground in an area where you're going to plant tomatoes and have had the bacterial wilt. Replace it with fresh soil. could be potting soil or planting soil from a nursery. And then you have at least a couple of months of tomato roots growing in soil that does not have any bacteria in it. And I think by that time, they'll be pretty strong and you'll be able to harvest tomatoes. And even though it gets bacterial wilt later in the year, you won't miss a tomato harvest. Okay, and we can quickly talk about one of our favorites, too. Just because you have cats and tomatoes doesn't mean you're going to get this cat-facing on your tomatoes. (laughs) Cat-facing is when a tomato grows fast and then grows slow, grows faster and grows slow. Sometimes when it's hot and then you get a rain or it's hot and then you water it real heavily and the skin just gets so hard that it can't expand like it wants to and it'll split and it'll cat face around the ends or maybe around the top, around the stem, little circular gars, I guess, across the stem. Nothing wrong with it at all. You'll follow my mother's rule, which is cut the bad place out, eat the rest. I so agree with that. All right, so Walter, we've got about a minute left. Common bugs that folks are seeing on their tomatoes at any stage. Give us maybe a list of four or five of the most common. The tomato hornworm gets on tomatoes and you'll just see leaves disappear overnight. And concomitant with that, you'll see little brown... uh, things, I won't describe too much for you, but there's little brown things, bunches of them scattered on the ground underneath the tomato where the tomato hornworm has pooped. And you can't find the caterpillar, go out at night with a black light. If you have a black light, oh, you, can cool. spray on the, uh, you can put on the tomato plant, they glow in the dark. He's like an iridescent green, and he almost yeah. looks like something from Alice in Wonderland, doesn't he? Yeah, they're real hard to see during the day because they're so well camouflaged.
Uh, if you go to your tomato plant, you tap it, and it's a big cloud of white flies because of puff of it. That's what they are, white flies. Easiest way, I think, is this exercise soap or something that is uh, very benign because you have beneficial insects you, that, eat, that eat the white flies, so you don't want to hurt them. So a little insecticidal soap that will kill the white flies sometimes and keeps the beneficials working for you, too. And I'll give you one, stink bugs, too, the marmorated stink bugs that we may see yeah. flying inside the house, kind of a shield shape, like a brownish gray, those guys. And they make holes in the skin of the tomato, have a straw-like mouth, they stick it into the tomato, suck the juice out, and they don't wipe their noses between eating, and so the <laughs> hole gets, gets infected with a little brown rot place. Ah. Again, you know, the mother's rule, cut it out, don't worry about it. Stink bugs are hard to control when they're old, so when they get that shield brown shape, that's sort of late to be controlled. Look for them in the spring and early summer. Oh, Walter, I love having this discussion with you, and we'll definitely bring you back and talk more about different vegetables but tomatoes how much fun you bet get the matches out of my hand the matches <laughs> please. Oh, no. <laughs> please stay safe see you later